You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. Welcome to the Brandy Show. Hi, everybody. I'm Jim Brandstatter, and this is my podcast. We'll get together every week to talk about football, primarily the University of Michigan Wolverines and the Big Ten Conference, with occasional forays into the national picture. We'll also keep up with the Detroit Lions and the NFL. Along the way, we'll have some surprises. We'll certainly have some fun guests and take a tangent or two that has nothing to do with football, like old movies or cooking. Who knows what? Sit back and relax and enjoy The Brandy Show. Hi, everybody. Jim Brandstatter here on The Brandy Show. Good to have you with us for Episode 3 of our podcast. Today, we're going to take a final take on the mess at Ohio State and the fallout of head coach Urban Meyer's three-game suspension. Now, I know it's a week old and it's kind of died down a little bit, and I was going to let it die until I saw the report. And then I said to myself, you know what? You got to say something about this. So I'm going to do that today. We're going to leave the Lions alone this week after three preseason games. Really, it's hard to tell what's up in Matt Patricia's first year. So we're going to leave them alone this week. And uh, next week, make sure you put it on your calendars. We're going to do our NFL and Lions preview for the entire season. And instead, what I'm going to talk about this week is a little bit about the NFL. It's about their penalties and how I think that the league is legislating the fun out of the game or at least your viewing experience. We'll have our trivia too deep this week, and we go back to Michigan's first night game. Remember that thriller in 2011 against Notre Dame? Well, who made up the defense for that game for Michigan? We know about the offense, Denard Robinson and Jeremy Gallon and that, but who was on defense? Think about it. We'll tell you in a few minutes. We'll also be joined by a special guest, Angelique Chengelis, She's the beat writer for Michigan football for the Detroit News. She'll join us and we'll preview Michigan versus Notre Dame, the Big Ten and college football. We'll also go to a shot clock with Angelique, tell you all about that in a little bit. So first let's start with my final comments on the Ohio State slash Urban Meyer slash assistant coach Zach Smith domestic abuse situation. We all know the ruling. It's a three-game suspension for Meyer without pay. Athletic director Gene Smith got a similar no-pay suspension. Now, I figured that. I'm on the record about saying that. Two weeks ago in my podcast, I told you I thought that Meyer was going to survive, but I thought Gene Smith might get the Ziggy and get fired, but but he didn't, and he got a, two, uh, a two-week suspension without pay. So I was ready to move on from that. And disgusted as I may have been, I saw it coming, and I was going to get over it and move on. Well, Then I saw the 23-page investigative report that Ohio State bought and paid for. With a blue-ribbon panel headed up by former chair of the Security and Exchange Commission, Mary Jo White. That's when I decided not to move on until I had a chance to vent. I mean, it's the report and its findings that pushed me over the edge. The report warrants much more than the penalties meted out. And, And I'm not the only one here, folks. USA Today, after the report came out, had this headline, OSU chose wins and losses over right and wrong. In Above the Law, they called the report a disgrace. USA Today again, unacceptable, disgraceful. USA Today again, an embarrassment for one of the top public institutions in the country, but a failure to understand their own history and a lack of faith in their own brand. The Toledo Blade, it's a damning report 
casts Meyer and Ohio State in a negative light. That was the fallout. And I got to tell you, I'm with him 100%. The report is what ultimately got me to the edge, and I walked over the edge. And the problem with the report is they say things in there that Meyer did, and you're going, well, why didn't he get more penalties? The report doesn't jive with the penalties that were given. For instance, these are examples of what were written in the report. So this isn't me talking. All you Ohio State fans out there, I'm not the one that is throwing this out there at you. This is what your Blue Ribbon panel said. Here's one of the passages. We also learned during the investigation that Coach Meyer sometimes had significant memory issues in other situations where he had prior extensive knowledge of events. He's also periodically taken medicine that can negatively impair his memory, concentration, and focus. That's from the report, folks. That's not me saying that. Now, think about this. If you're interviewing a CEO that's going to take over part of your company, and say your company has 26, 27 divisions, and you're interviewing this guy to take over the division that is the most profitable, football, in, say, Ohio State's 28 divisions, includes all these non-revenue sports. Football supports them all. And you're interviewing this guy to be the CEO of that division in any business out there, and this guy comes into your office, and you get a report that says he's periodically taking medicine that can negatively impair his memory, concentration, and focus. And you're going to hire the guy? I mean, come on. That's in the report. Why has he got the job in the first place if he's taking medication that negatively impairs his memory? I just find that amazing that the report comes out and says that, and Urban Meyer still has a job. Here's another passage from the report. The investigator said they believe that Meyer and his wife, Shelley, communicated in some way about the concerns that Courtney Smith, the ex-wife of Zach Smith, raised to Shelley Meyer in text messages in 2015. Urban Meyer told reporters Wednesday he had no knowledge of those messages. Oh, apparently, that must be his memory being negatively affected by his uh, medication. It just doesn't make a lot of sense that you're going to buy that from him. Here's another passage. Urban Meyer and a football staffer discuss how to adjust the settings on Meyer's phone so that text messages more than a year old would be deleted. Investigators didn't find a message over a year old on his phone. However, according to the findings, the investigators said they were unable to tell when Meyer adjusted those settings on his phone. Well, it was right after a report was going to come out from Brett McMurphy that was very negative. That day, Meyer went to his assistant coach and says, hey, how can you delete these text messages that are over a year old? Now, you can't infer that before a year he had text messages that were damning or even criminally negligent. But the fact that he did it, doesn't that raise the radar? Doesn't that kind of get your feeling like, man, something's going on here? But no, even with that fact, and again, this isn't me. So all of you out there looking at this through, uh, you know, scarlet and gray colored glasses, it's not me. This is what the report says. And here's another one from the report. Athletic director Gene Smith explicitly told Urban to acknowledge what he knew about that 2015 incident with Zach Smith 
in a text message before Meyer spoke to reporters at the Big Ten meetings. Well, he disobeyed a superior because he said during that time when Smith told him to explain what happened in 2015, Meyer told the reporters, I don't remember anything about it and I don't know anything about it. He did. And yet, here's a guy that maintains his job with a three-game suspension despite the fact that he disobeyed a superior. And here's the other part of the report that I just don't get. This is why I'm so close to the edge and taking a leap over the top. In the report, again, not me, this is the quote from the report. While those denials uh, to the reporters were plainly not accurate, Coach Meyer did not, in our view, deliberately lie. Now figure that one out. That's what the report says, folks. He knew about it. And yet he told the reporters he didn't know about it. And then the report suggests that he didn't deliberately lie. Well, what did he do? Would somebody please tell me what he did do if he didn't lie? I'm telling you what, he did know about it. And, and, and that's why, to me, the penalty does not match what the report says. This report was generated by this group hired by Ohio State. It is damning. It is terrible. It paints Ohio State in a terrible light. And yet, despite that, Urban Meyer continues to be the coach. And then Meyer again, after all this stuff happens, and he was at the meeting and the press conference where this report was released, didn't look very contrite. He didn't uh, apologize to Courtney Smith, who was the alleged victim in this deal. He looked like, uh, I just want to get out of the room. And two days later, he issues a written apology to Courtney Smith and her children. And that goes again to the fact that I don't think he feels he did anything wrong. I think he just kind of said, I got away with it. Then because the PR department and everybody else shows up, he crafted a letter and he apologized to Courtney Smith and he apologized to her kids in regards to the domestic abuse charges. To me, that's a little too little and a little too late. And here's a key passage in this report. And this one I think is the biggest one, and it's the it's the final thing I'm going to talk about. This goes to the entire situation. And the report concludes, and I quote, As a result, he, Meyer, has cast doubt on his own honesty in a way that reflects adversely on him, the football program, and Ohio State. That's from the report, folks. That's not me. So if you think I'm only saying this because I'm a Michigan guy, I'm not. I'm saying it because it was in the report that was paid for by Ohio State. He reflects adversely on himself, the football program in Ohio State. He's still got a job. That is why I am at the edge ready to step over. I was going to leave it go, let it alone. But with that report and then the penalties that followed, it just doesn't jibe. And that's the problem with Ohio State. And I think if there's going to be some kind of fix to this whole problem down there, it's going to have to come from within Ohio State. The outside pressure, as we've seen, you heard the headlines from USA Today and from the Toledo Blade and all over the country that just absolutely blasted this report and Ohio State for their actions and Urban Meyer, and nothing's going to happen. So if there is going to be some kind of fix to this, 
And I don't know what the fix would be, but it's going to have to come from within the Ohio State University. The academics or those alumni that don't want their university to get a terrible, awful reputation because of their football program. I mean, those are the people that are going to have to do it. And personally, I don't think they're going to be able to do it. They're not going to be able to mount the kind of power and attack from within that's going to get rid of, uh, I think, the cancer that's going on down at Ohio State in their football program. And they're going to have to live with it for a while. As long as Urban Meyer is the coach, this will follow him. Make no mistake. When they came out with that report, I said, it's not over. And to be quite frank, I don't think it's going to be over now. Even though things are going to go on as normal down at Ohio State, Meyer will come back after his three-game suspension and coach, and if they win games, everybody's going to say, uh, so what? Nothing happened. Well, something happened, and nothing resulted in from that happening. The penalty did not match what the report said happened. And to me, the report is what got me mad. And and that's kind of where I'm going to go with this, and that's the end of it. I'm not doing any more on Meyer and Ohio State unless something happens from within, and I don't think that's going to happen. So that's the last you're going to hear from me on Urban Meyer. Now let's go to the NFL. And I'm going to go about their penalties. I was watching a game the other night, and they had like 17 penalties called in the middle of the fourth quarter, 17 accepted penalties. You just can't watch a game with that many penalties. It just, to me kind of spoils the watching experience. I mean, you want to flow. You want a game to go with no penalties so you can watch a team move the ball down the field and and you get these penalties. Now, I'm not naive enough to think that everybody plays perfectly and there aren't holding and there isn't interference calls. There are. I get that. But I think the NFL has legislated the fun out of the game. The referees are given the opportunity on judgment calls to make holding calls on guys that I don't think were holding. And yet they make that call. It's a 10-yard penalty. It's a second and three. Now it's a second and 13, and they have to punt it away, and the game stops. The whole flow stops. Judgment calls, in my opinion, are very, very difficult, and I know that they're necessary, and holding is not good, and interference is not good. This helmet rule where a guy ducks his head, and you can throw a 15-yard penalty on that guy for helmet-to-helmet contact. Last week I saw an offensive player with the football, And he ducked his head and ran into the defender. And the defender didn't do anything except get in there and make a tackle. And the offensive guy was the guy that initiated the helmet-to-helmet. And yet there was no call on that. But I guarantee you, if it was a defensive player, there would have been a 15-yard penalty on helmet-to-helmet. That's where I think the league has gotten away from fun. And if they're in the entertainment business, which they are, then I think you want to have your fans, especially those watching on television, because let's... Not be naive here. It's about television advertising that pays the league that much money that they can have a salary cap for their players of $186 million. I mean, that's where you get the money. You don't get it from ticket sales. You get it from all that television revenue from all the networks that are broadcasting those games. And it's about fantasy football and those folks that are out there watching. And if you take that experience, that experience as a viewer, and you make it dull, and you make it uh, disjointed, and it's not as entertaining, you're about ready to watch that go away. And in my opinion, that's just not good. And I think the NFL has got to do something. Penalties need to be called, but they have to also give the referees 
The idea that, look, unless you see it and it's egregious, don't call it. Let them play. Let's be entertaining. Okay? That's what you need to do in the National Football League. And yet, I think they're getting away from it. And if you out there have been watching games and you've seen these preseason games with all these penalties, I think you got to agree with me. It's just not fun. It's not a fun watch. That's what the NFL has to get away from. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about college football, Michigan, Notre Dame, with our special guest, Angelique Changelis. Don't go away. You want to hear this. She's a lot of fun. She knows her stuff. And we're also going to have Trivia Too Deep and uh, The Shot Clock with Angelique. So stay with us. This is The Brandy Show. The Brandy Show is a Zing Media Group production. Zing Media Group. Tell your story. You're using your ears. Okay. okay. Here we go. Welcome back, everybody, to The Brandy Show. We are joined now by our special guest, Angelique Shengelis, the angel of the big house, everybody. Angelique is the beat writer for Michigan football for the Detroit News. She's outstanding. Now, the first question is, what is a beat writer for the Detroit News for Michigan football, Angelique? Hi, Jim. How are you? Is that the first time you've ever called me special, special guest? Well, Thank you you. you are special. Oh, okay. I, I just got to be nice to you so I can get the next 15 <laughs> minutes out of the way. <laughs> oh, all right. I see how you're working here. Yes, a beat writer since um, 1992 covering Michigan football. Well, what is a Detroit news? What does a beat writer do? What does that mean? Well, it's really evolved, Jim. I mean, from the early years, I mean, it's, it's the process is the same. I, I cover the team on a regular basis. I go out for every availability. Every um, every game, home and away, uh, spring crack, you know, whatever it is. And, and now with the 24-7 news cycle, it has become a constant every day, all year. And, and before that was different, uh, before the Internet, before Twitter. And, you know, I covered auto racing. I covered uh, Detroit, University of Detroit basketball. I covered a lot of other things. And now I am... I am purely a Michigan beat writer, always on this beat, and uh, and it's always interesting. It is interesting, and of course, you're great at it. I I, I don't want to, you know, give you too much of a big head, but you are really good at it. You find your way to get stories. You have an interesting relationship with the coaches. I know you and Lloyd Carr were interesting in in your relationship, <laughs> and Jim Harbaugh is kind of joined uh, that mix with you. But let's talk about what's on everybody's mind right now, and that's Michigan-Notre Dame. What, what do you see from that game? Well, I, you know, I, I know that Jim Harbaugh has mentioned a few times that they seem like uh, mirror images of each other, and, and I can see why he's, why he's saying that. I, I mean, I think that Michigan's defense is outstanding. I, that's not breaking news. Um, and I, I think Notre Dame is, is, is very good, too. But I, I think that, uh, to me, this is going to come down to your position group, the offensive line, Michigan's offensive line. And, and is it better? Is it, is it going to show the improvement that, that the players have all talked about since Ed Warner came in and started coaching them and, and Shea Patterson? Right. I mean, well, see, here he is. Yeah. And that's he's what a, he's a big key. He is a big key, but that's, that's where I was, I've been going all along is that Shea Patterson is getting the headlines. And, but yet Shea Patterson's performance, in my opinion, depends greatly on the offensive line, their ability to run and protect. So, yes. you know, which comes first, the, uh, horse or the cart? And, and it's one of those things where I think both of them have to perform well for Michigan to improve over last year, especially on offense. Oh, I think so. I mean, I always point to the offensive line, Jim. I always have. And, 
And, you know, I, I've covered some great Michigan offensive linemen and, and lines. And, I, you know, unfortunately, I wasn't there to cover you and Deardorf and, and back in the day in Colorado. Uh, you missed some of the great ones. <laughs> I did. I did. But, you know, I, I think Shea Patterson is a proven commodity. I, no one has seen him here. He was obviously playing at Ole Miss and then got hurt, uh, what, it's seven games into last season. So he's, he's really itching to get on the field. But, yeah, I mean, I think he can create. I think he can he can make things happen, but you've got to have a great offensive line. Or, or at this point, I think marginal offensive line play will help Michigan, and, and then you got to believe it's just going to get better from there. From your perspective, is Notre Dame as good as everybody says it is? I mean, I see this game where Notre Dame is uh, listed as a big favorite, then they went down and Michigan was listed as a big favorite, mm-hmm. and now Notre Dame is back up uh, maybe a point in the favorites or a pick game. How does that happen in this game? Because both teams, to be honest, in an opener are an unknown quantity. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think the known quantity is that it's in South Bend. It's it's at that stadium. You know that weird things happen there, and we've seen it over the years in this uh, in this rivalry, in Michigan Notre Dame rivalry. I, I I'm not I'm not sold on Notre Dame, but I mean I haven't seen enough. I haven't you know I've been reading about them, and I'm you know it doesn't sound like even though they're solid with their starting quarterback. There's talk, you know, Brian Kelly has said the other quarterback could play too. So I, I think, hmm, well, that's that's interesting if he if he's saying that because they've talked about how they know they know what he can do. They learned last year watching him play, what his strengths are, what his weaknesses are, and 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 Brian Kelly has said that they, you know, they will play the second quarterback if the backup if they if they need to. And that reminds me a little bit of, of Michigan going into the Florida game last year with with uh, Wilton Spade and John O'Corn and. And I think that that's not a settled – that doesn't seem like the best way to go into a season. Yeah, I'm so with, I'm with you on that. Sold. I know We talked about Notre Dame and how the two-quarterback system isn't necessarily the best thing to do and how you and I both feel about that. But th- now let's move on to the, the Big Ten. Uh, we got the Big Ten East and the Big Ten West. In the East, I see this you know, division as the toughest division maybe in college football. But I think the winner comes out of these four teams, Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State, and Michigan State. Do you do you yeah, agree? Yeah, you're, you're you're out on a limb there. Aren't I? Aren't way I big go. time? Way to go! Uh, let's way, put it this way. way. Let me clap. Uh, uh, hey, I'm I'm trying to do my best as a host. <laughs> I'm feeding you high fastballs, and you're mocking me. Stop it! Oh my God, it's just too easy to mock you. It's my favorite thing to oh, do. Oh, stop! No, yeah, I, mean, I totally agree with you. Those are the <laughs> those are the elite teams in the Big Ten in the Big Ten East. I mean, I people would argue Wisconsin. I know some of the pundits are, are saying Wisconsin will win the Big Ten uh, championship game. But, yes, I mean, the Big Ten East is, is possibly, very probably, the best division in college football. And, I, you know, I, I think, I mean, I, I've got it coming down to Michigan-Ohio State. I really do. I think that those, those two teams in my not having seen play since that 8-5 season, that direct full game. I've got to believe that those two teams, and that's not disparaging Penn State or Michigan State. I think Michigan State's going to be really good. I don't think Penn State's going to be as good, but even though Trace McSorley's back, but Michigan State, that Michigan game in, in East Lansing will be absolutely key, and that's not breaking news, but I think it comes down to Columbus. I agree. And here's the other, in the West, you talked about Wisconsin. Is Wisconsin the, the guy? I mean, Nebraska, Iowa, Northwestern are probably the other teams that could give them some trouble, but Wisconsin looks like they're the team in the West to beat. And, and oh, are they so. going to be in the Big yeah. Ten championship game? 
I think so. I mean, I think Nebraska is is going to be in the right going in the right direction with Scott Frost there. I think Northwestern is going to be tough. I think that's going to be actually a tough road game for Michigan. Um, and you know, Iowa. I, you never know. Iowa's you know springs up and and has great seasons. But Wisconsin, even though they've had a couple issues with their receivers and suspensions, I think they're they are the elite team in the West. All right, college football's final four. You want to go there? Well, you want to. Oh, boy, aren't you accommodating? This is rare. I, I wonder if these folks out there know how rare this is that you're accommodating me. Okay, give me the four and give me the four in the final four for you. Wow, I mean, I haven't actually thought about it carefully. I mean, I've, I've read what other people think. I mean, I think you. I mean, Alabama. I think you got Clemson in, there and it's going to be a Big Ten. Team. Yeah, I, I agree with you. There's going to be a Big Ten team in there. And I just don't know which one to, I don't know. I don't know which, which one. And, uh, you know, I thought it was very curious. Desmond Howard had West Virginia in there. I know. The other I, day. I, I thought that was a very interesting See, I, I, I think it's Alabama Clemson. I think the Big Ten team, whoever comes out of the Big Ten championship game, then out of the West, it's, it's probably going to be Washington, I think. Yeah. No, I forget. Yes, you're right. I was going to say Washington because I agree with you. And, um, you know, it's a team that's, that's, that's definitely has been built to, to stick around in the national championship hunt. So, um, yeah, I just I don't know which Big Ten to te- team to say right now because they're going to beat themselves up in that Big Ten East, and, right. and then we'll see how the cards fall. Okay, Angelique, you are lucky because you get to oh, play good. two deep trivia with me today. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, yeah. Remember 2011 Michigan-Notre Dame? Yeah, it's sort of foggy, but I remember. Okay, you offensively, it's easy. You know, it, it, everybody knows who the two deeps are because you got Denard Robinson, you got Jeremy Gallon, you got Roy Roundtree, all that stuff, right? But who played right. defense for that team? So all of the folks out there in the podcast, I've given you the preview that this defense in 2011 for Michigan. Give me their front four, Angelique. What do you think? Is that Mike Martin? Mike Martin's one. <laughs> uh, Ryan Van Bergen. Ooh, two out of four. You're doing good. My God! Now I'm blanking. Um, <laughs> Let me oh. give you the other two: Craig Rowe and Will Heininger. Oh, of course, Craig Rowe. Of, of course. course, yeah, and Will Heininger, of course. Yeah, yeah. Really? Now here's here's the tough part: they're three linebackers, the starters. Oh my goodness! Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. isn't this fun though? I, isn't this fun to kind of go back? Uh, yeah, I know, but isn't this fun? Yeah, it is. Tell me. <laughs> I Middle linebacker myself. Kenny Demons. Yes. And outside linebacker Mike Jones and outside linebacker Cam Gordon. Remember Cam Gordon? Oh, of course I remember right. Cam Gordon. Yeah. Now here's our oh, wow. here's our cornerbacks. JT Floyd and Troy Wolfolk mm-hmm. on oh, that Troy defense. Wolfolk, yeah, yeah. Yes. You know who else was on that defense though? They backed up that year was Blake Countess and Courtney Avery. Which is amazing. Yeah, that's amazing that those kids in two thousand eleven were the backups. Now how about the starting safeties? I, I give up. I totally give you up. You got to give the one. Frozen. The, the one you should know is Jordan Kovacs. Oh, <laughs> yes, I should know that. And, and the other yeah, one. I is, hope Jordan's not going to listen to this. Yeah, I know he probably will, and he's going to be mad at you. And, I know. And the other one is Thomas Gordon, out of Cass Tech in Detroit, and he went on to play safety in the National Football League, or actually linebacker, I think, for Jacksonville. Seven years ago was a long time ago. But that's what's fun about two deep trivia. It is. No, it's, I mean, it's great to hear those names again. And, um, 
That was, uh, boy, that was a while ago. It was it a while like ago. It feels like that was a long time ago. But anyway, that's my fun feature, Too Deep Trivia, that we do every week on my podcast. You <laughs> failed. I got two of them. And Angelique, you <laughs> failed. <laughs> Miserably. Miserably. Okay, now, here's the other fun part. I'm going to do Shot Clock with you. And okay. Shot Clock is part of an interview where it's quick, uh, off-the-cuff answers to quick questions. You don't get more than 24, 25 seconds. I'm not going to hold you to that, but... Just questions I'm going to throw out, topics, and you and I go back and forth with it. We did that last week with Eli's Eric, and I found out it was kind of fun. And so everybody that comes on, I'm going to try to do the same thing. And you have a, a wealth of knowledge about a lot of things, and you are interested in a lot of things like travel, and, and you're a big tennis fan. So here comes the shot clock with Angelique Changelis. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. Your favorite or slash greatest all-time male tennis player? Uh, Roger Federer. I was always a John McEnroe person, but uh, Federer is, is the class. Well, I agree. I agree. Federer is, but you know the other guy I really like, is, and to me, he's one A. Is Pete Sampras? As, oh, as, that's, as, that's a good pick. Yeah, I but mean, no, I as, argue with that. No, as as anybody dominated the game like Federer has, Sampras when he was there did his right. Yes, but you know when I was younger, McEnroe to me, you know it, that's when American tennis was so good. Yeah, that's and, true. Uh, and he was—I know that he rubbed a lot of people the wrong way, but I, he brought an energy to the sport that I just uh, relished. Okay, next topic: female tennis player, greatest or favorite? Well, I mean, I love Billie Jean King because of what she's done for the sport, but Serena Williams is is the greatest in my mind. Yeah, I mean, I, she's just phenomenal. I would agree with that. And my my difference is uh, Chris Everett. I thought the rivalry she had with Martina was outstanding, Martina Navratilova. But but Navratilova was Jack Nicholas and came over and tried to take the king or the queen in that regard, and she fought hard because I thought Chris, when Martina came on the scene, was just basically going to go away, and she didn't. She created that rivalry, I think. Look at you talking tennis. I never, ever thought I'd have this conversation with you. I never thought I'd have it with you either, and to be quite frank <laughs> – most people out there just took a snooze. Okay. Next next <laughs> shot clock. We're going on shot clock. You covered NASCAR for a while. Your NASCAR favorite driver. Oh, I thought Dale Earnhardt Sr., the original, uh-huh. was just uh he's one of the coolest people I've ever ever covered, ever interviewed, Jim. He was he was uh he was something else. How about, different different uh, than anybody else. How about the modern guys? I mean I like Jeff Gordon a ton. I, I like um Denny Hamlin. Do I you? really um I think he's 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 really well rounded. Loves sports, all sports, and I just I, I like him a ton. I am uh, old school Richard Petty. I mean, the, he, he he just he brought that to another level. The whole NASCAR deal, and presently, I like Brad Keselowski. Uh, just oh, because he's, do, he's he's a, a Michigan, Michigan guy, fan. yeah, and he's a friend of okay. Al Glicks. Okay, yeah. shot clock continues. <laughs> Brandstetter or Deerdorf? Deerdorf, without a doubt. I mean, I didn't even have to think about it. That hurts, Angelique. That that hurts. Just really. That's you know not, I'm kidding. Th- no, I don't know you you're know kidding. I'm you're kidding. absolutely true. And you know what? I could bring up another broadcaster's name, but I'm not. To, yeah, because I don't not. want to give you uh, any problems. So, okay, you, you gave You know I'm kidding. You know I'm No, I, you know what? You, you said, way. no, no. You said Deardorff, and I got to tell you, in my point, in my view, I'm the same with you. I like Deardorff better than me, too. <laughs> okay, Lloyd Carr story. Quick. Lloyd Carr, sorry. Quick one. Uh, Rose Bowl. I forget what year it was. I went out there early to do a USC story, 
And I was at practice with all the L.A. riders. I was told I could be at practice. Next thing I know, I get to tap. Uh, Pete Carroll wants me to leave practice. Everybody else got to stay, but I had to leave. And I stood outside. It was one of those chilly Southern California nights. Uh-huh. I was very cold. Next day, I go to Michigan's practice. I'm the only Detroit reporter, local reporter there. All the L.A. riders are there. Lloyd asked me how I'm doing. I told him, yeah, Pete Carroll kicked me out of practice last night. He didn't say a word. He walked over to the group of uh, L.A. riders and made them leave. Did he really? What a yeah. great story. It was, uh, I was like, wow, okay, yeah. this is good. This was, uh, it was fitting. You were, I was really you, ticked off that night. I don't blame you. You were, you were a powerful force, weren't you? <laughs> yeah, that's what <laughs> okay. it was. My Lloyd Carr story, we take Michigan replay, you know, Saturday nights after the games. And Lloyd was such a good guy. Sometimes it's like 2, 3 in the morning. And he would come in, and his eyes looked so bloodshot. <laughs> he looked like he'd been on a three-day bender. We had to roll his head back and put Visine in his eyes and wait five minutes for his eyes cleared up so we could tape the show so he didn't look like he'd been on a bender. That's my Lloyd Carr story. Okay, uh, uh, Shot Clock continues. Favorite travel spot with your mom? With my mom. I love going to London. And this is a, a big reason why she is fair, somewhat mobile, but I have to use a wheelchair when we travel. And London is unbelievable for people who need wheelchairs. And it's unbelievable how the, the, the treatment that we get and how kind people are. So London for sure. Okay. Mine was Ireland. Mom loved Ireland. Oh, I loved we, it. oh yeah. We used to go to Galway, and she went to an old bookstore called Kenny's Bookshop. She loved having tea and scones. Uh, uh, I know yeah. how much fun it is to travel with your mom, and, and I can feel how you love her and how much fun you have with her. The same way I feel when my mom and I went to Ireland. Okay, France or Italy? Uh, Italy. I'm France. Loved it. I'm France because I got to go up to Normandy and see uh, the American oh, yeah. Cemetery up there. That was, that oh, was just, that was incredible. That was just too cool. Uh, Greek or Italian? Yeah, Greek or Italian food? Well, I'm Greek. I know. Um, That's why I asked the question. You think I don't do my homework here? You think I I, don't do my research? No, but this is what's bad. I I say this all the time. I'm a bad Greek. I don't like a lot of Greek food. And um, the first time I went to Greece when I was seven, I refused to eat all the food and I lost 14 pounds. So, um, but that was just being stubborn. But yeah, I love Italian food. Actually, I like Greek food. It's pasticcio, moussaka. Oh, uh, when yeah, I went down to that. Greek, yeah, when I first came to Detroit and went down to Greek town, I killed Greek town. I gained 50 pounds. <laughs> Angelique, you're the best. Jim, Mr. Timmons, you know I love you. <laughs> I love it. Hey, you haven't had more fun in an interview than you just had, have you? I had the most fun. Of course you did. I always have fun with well, you. Well, you're you're on I the do. Brandy show. You're you someday you're going to be a regular. And you have a podcast, do you? I'm are, I'm hopefully launching it this week. Oh, are you really? Be on here. I would yeah. be I would be glad to, and I'll be just as uncooperative as you've been. Oh, good. I'm <laughs> always cooperative. Right. This is so unfair. Well, hey. This is why I like Deirdre better. <laughs> this is exactly why. <laughs> Well, hey, listen, I know you're busy going to an interview over at Schembechler Hall, uh, so I want to get off You get off the car and get over there and do your job. But people can read Angelique in the Detroit News, the DebtNews.com, and soon to have her own podcast. Do you have a name for it? Yeah, I think it's View from the Press Box. Boy, that's really original. I know. I <laughs> that's know. almost as original as the Brandy Show. 
We're a pair, aren't we? Hey, thanks so oh, much. Drive great. safely, okay? All right, thanks, Jim. All I right, Angelique Chingelis, our special guest. Great job. It was so much fun. Hey, uh, I want to remind everybody to tune in to Michigan football on WWJ News Radio 950 in Detroit and the Michigan Ooh. Football Network all over Michigan. We're coming up this uh, Saturday. It'll be September 1st, 730 from uh, Notre Dame, South Bend. We're going to have the game on. So turn the TV volume down, the radio volume up, and listen to Dan Deardorff and me broadcast your Wolverines each and every week. Best coverage of Michigan football out there. Also, every Sunday morning at 1030, don't forget to watch Inside Michigan Football on WXYZ TV in Detroit. Get your post-game story there every week with yours truly, Jim Harbaugh, Michigan All-American John Jansen, and Ed Kengersky. If you get the chance and you come across my Facebook page, Jim Brandstatter, remember to like it and join our adventures on Twitter. It's simple. Just follow at Jim Brandstatter. Special thanks to the folks here at Podcast Detroit for being our home for the Brandy Show and Zing Media Group and our producer, Kathleen Stevens. That'll do it for this week, everybody. Thanks for being with us. Don't forget, join us next week for the Brandy Show. Welcome to the Brandy Show. Hi, everybody. I'm Jim Brandstatter, and this is my podcast. We'll get together every week to talk about football, primarily the University of Michigan Wolverines and the Big Ten Conference, with occasional forays into the national picture. We'll also keep up with the Detroit Lions and the NFL. Along the way, we'll have some surprises. We'll certainly have some fun guests and take a tangent or two that has nothing to do with football, like old movies or cooking. Who knows what? Sit back and relax and enjoy the Brandy Show.